0: When I was eight years old, my father moved the family to a house across the town where we lived. My mother had delivered twin boys and was expecting her fifth, a girl. So we needed a larger home to accommodate our growing family, which would eventually go to seven children. Our new neighbors had two boys around my own age with whom I occasionally played. They attended a small church Whose members regularly irritated people by ringing their doorbells at inopportune moments to hand out copies of the Watchtower magazine. Our house was rich in religious imagery, statues of the Blessed Virgin Mary and other saints, crucifixes in different rooms, pictures of the Sacred Heart, and these two boys on the rare occasion they came over to play indoors were visibly uncomfortable. They would mention their church's prohibition against images and that idol worshipers would go to the lake of fire when Jehovah God pulled the plug on creation. They were also begun reminding me that, according to the book of Revelations, only 144,000 people would be saved, none of them Catholics. I would only a vague idea about how much a, a, a number like 100 and 44,000 represented, nor did I know that it was an infinitesimally small fraction of the 83 billion human beings thought to have lived on this planet since the dawn of time. What, what are the chances, do you suppose, of pulling the lucky number in that ultimate of all lotteries? I may have been a dumb kid, but even then I knew there was something fuzzy about their theology. I didn't realize it then, but I was actually thinking like a Catholic, because the Church has a long list of saints, but we have no corresponding list of the damned. And that is because God's merciful love is infinitely greater than our ability to comprehend it. So we will have no idea who manages to sneak through the barricades of heaven until we actually get there ourselves if we get there ourselves. One of the rewards of reading Dante's Divine Comedy is that you quickly learn that no one goes to hell by accident. You have to single-mindedly choose it as your ultimate travel destination. And by that I mean, you have to will it, and then you have to live as though you were already there. This is the theological background out of which we should reflect on the question asked of Christ in today's gospel, Are they few in number who will be saved? The question gets answered every Sunday when we sing in the creed the words, For us men and for our salvation he came down from heaven and became man. Packed within this simple declarative sentence lies a complex and sophisticated chain of theological reflection that defines Catholic faith. Is Christ human or divine? The answer is crucial because the person of Christ has everything to do with the work of Christ. If the church got it wrong, understanding who Christ was, said Saint Athanasius, then the church would also get it wrong on the work of Christ. And that work is our salvation and deification. It took three ecumenical councils to carefully work out the language of the creed and the Christological and Trinitarian doctrines that lie behind it. The debates where those doctrines were hammered out were often tumultuous because the Council Fathers understood that the outcome meant how you answered the important questions about who is to be saved and how, with or without our bodies within or without the world, now or at the end of time, alone or as the members of a community. Another way of asking the question maybe is, what exactly does salvation look like? Because it has to be more than an intellectual concept. The first possibility looks like a heavenly theme park where disembodied spirits float on clouds playing harps that never need to be tuned. The other possibility looks like Karl Marx's version of an earthly classless political utopia. It is sometimes portrayed as angelic spirits, of course, but Marx's vision of an earthly classless political utopia looks a lot different. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to connect the dots to see the radically different and ultimately alien theologies that lie at the far end of those considerations. If salvation were to be found in an otherworldly disembodied never-never land, the divine Logos would not have had to become a human being. And if Christianity, if it existed at all, would be an esoteric do-it-yourself Gnostic sect, salvation by secret password. On the other hand, If salvation is conceived as an earthly paradise, a la Marx and Lenin, we wouldn't need Jesus of Nazareth. We would have salvation by government. And for those who find this option attractive, I feel obliged to mention Ronald Reagan's famous line that the 10 most frightening words in the English language are, we're from the government, and we're here to help you. Happily, these are not the only two options Available to the Church. When the Gospels of the Church Fathers talk about salvation, they describe it as being saved both from and for. Saved from sin, saved for intimacy with God, saved from death, saved for eternal life. And this is not esoteric language, but neither is it the enthusiastic language of an evangelistic tent revival. It is the language of repentance, conversion, and reconciliation anchored in the experience of a deep and fundamental change of mind and heart. It is the language of a sacramental encounter with the true and living God within the community of the Church. So salvation for the early Church was above all the experience of being set free to love, and more than that, it was the experience of, Of being set free to love one's persecutors, to love those who hate us. When the pagans said, see how those Christians love one another, what they were really saying was, see how those Christians experience salvation. Belonging to Christ was the transformative experience in which ordinary life was no longer possible. We are saved only by the power of God acting in the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is what St. Luke is telling us Sunday after Sunday as we read through his gospel. and This is what we encounter when we celebrate the Eucharist, that God has chosen to act in our world of space and time for the sake of human beings and out of love for his creation. We can exclude ourselves by our refusal to accept this invitation, and surely there are many people who do so. But when we accept it, and in the manner and company of God's choosing, then we are walking through the narrow door.